Hello and thank you for joining us here at the Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ for the next sermon in our series, Back to the Start, a study of the gospel. Now, we have spent the last several weeks talking about the gospel and specifically what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe you haven't thought about it before, maybe you have, but there is a natural progression that takes place on the road to discipleship. Uh, so let's step back from this for a second and think about the process that someone goes through when they decide to become a disciple of Jesus. So the first thing that has to happen is that they have to hear the message. Okay, pretty common sense there. They hear the things that Jesus says. They, they hear the gospel of Jesus, and these words have an effect on them. Uh, they begin to see how his teachings apply to them, and, and they recognize their need for him. They see that they are sinners in need of a Savior. And at some point, they decide that they believe in Jesus as the Son of God and their Savior. Now, we read the story of the disciples uh, when Jesus called out seemingly random people. And sometimes he just says the words, follow me, and they drop everything and follow him almost as if on a whim. And we know that those disciples that followed Jesus around, that lived with him, ate with him, slept on the same floors as him, we know that these people did drop everything to follow Jesus. But sometimes we forget that Jesus was surrounded by a lot of other people that called him teacher or rabbi, a lot of other people that did follow him even though they weren't one of the twelve. So what we see in this discipleship-teacher relationship is that the act of choosing to follow Jesus in some cases is an instant reaction to hearing the gospel and hearing who Jesus is, but a lot of times the process of becoming a disciple of Jesus takes a lot more time than just hearing and immediately believing. And, and the process of someone coming to believe in Jesus can stretch out over a great deal of time. But at some point, if someone is going to decide that they are going to be a disciple of Jesus, they have to decide that they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for us, and that he was raised again. And that because of his resurrection, he overcame the power of sin and the death that we had earned, offering us forgiveness and eternal life. And for us today, when we believe in Jesus and believe in these things and believe in his resurrection, we are baptized, tying ourselves to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And from that point on, we are disciples of Jesus. We live a new life for him. The old pre-belief us is gone, and there is a new person who stands in our place, one who is saved by the blood of Jesus. And then what? Well, and then, like the disciples, we spend the rest of our lives deepening our relationship with Jesus, constantly being challenged to submit ourselves to him and be completely sold out for him. We are 
challenged to live our lives literally in a different way where we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one who gives us life. We are perpetually becoming someone who looks more and more like Jesus. But there is one part of this process that I want to highlight and draw a little bit more attention to. And that's this. When it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, when it comes to believing that he is the Son of God, when it comes to believing that he is our Savior, the more convinced and bought in we are, the more we give ourselves over. Uh, we go from a place of unbelief to belief, and that belief changes everything about who we are, what we do, the way we live our lives. That belief informs every decision that we make. And I, again, it's just kind of common sense. The more we believe in Jesus, the more our lives are going to be formed by him. And this is, in short, the process that we go through when we become disciples. We hear, we understand, we believe, we choose to follow. But it leads us to one sort of final application that we want to make here this morning. And, and it asks this question, I think, what does your belief in Jesus, your following of him, your decision that you are a sinner in need of a savior, what does that mean for the rest of the world? Now, this might seem like a weird question, but there is a truth that underlies all the things that we just talked about. And the truth that underlies all of these things is this. That if all of these things about Jesus are true to you, if Jesus is Lord, if we are lost in our sin, if he offers us redemption, if we live new life in him, then isn't it true for everyone? Now, this is a more complicated question than we want to give it credit for. And in part, it's because this stance that Jesus being a savior and our need for a savior, saying that Jesus is the only way, is an unpopular stance to take these days. You won't make a lot of friends by saying that there is one truth and that truth is Jesus. Now, our culture has adopted a principle that says people should be able to believe whatever they want to believe. That what is true for you is not necessarily true for someone else. And if you try to say that your idea is true, that you have the truth, and that everyone should agree with you, then you are deemed intolerant by today's standards. And being intolerant was about the worst thing you could be for a long time. Although it seems like maybe we've swung the other way over the past couple of years to where having a strong opinion and carrying that strong opinion out has become a lot more popular than it used to be. But here's the problem with that. The conversation about Christianity in our country has become an issue-based conversation. It's no longer really about Jesus 
or the gospel. Instead, it's about who you voted for or your take on a particular issue or even what you think about guns, of all things. Now, I could say a lot about this, but let me get back to the point that I was trying to make. Based on what Jesus said and how he said it, based on the purpose of Jesus's ministry here on earth, based on the reasoning, as Paul says, that all are lost in sin and in need of a savior, if the need for Jesus is true for you, it is true for everyone. And the converse is also true. If the need for Jesus is not true for everyone, then it can't really be true at all. If you believe that you need Jesus, then by extension, you have to believe that everyone needs Jesus. That all are lost in sin. That all are in need of a Savior. So, a disciple does not just believe that they need Jesus. They believe that everyone needs Jesus. And furthermore, they are driven to do something about it. But it makes me wonder, in all the conversations that we're having on Facebook or other places, all the conversations that are going on in culture, when is the last time that one of you talked to someone who doesn't go to church, not about politics, but about Jesus? How many of us have looked at someone and had our hearts break for them because they don't know Jesus and they may never know him? Now, it's here that we realize, have to realize, that discipleship is about more than just us bringing ourselves in line with Jesus. Discipleship is about more, following is about more than just getting ourselves right and straight. And to put it simply, as a disciple of Jesus, your job is to make more disciples of Jesus, to change lives everywhere you go and everywhere you are. Let's take a look uh, in the scripture today. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 28. Verses 16 through 20. This is after Jesus has uh, risen from the dead and he's about to ascend into heaven. And he says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. When Jesus said these words to his followers at the end of the book of Matthew, he said these things as the risen Lord, meaning, again, that he had already died, been buried, and had risen from the dead. But he still wanted to make an important statement to his followers. There was something uh, that he wanted them to know. So he told them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, this is an affirmation of Jesus's role in the grand scheme of what God was doing in the world. Uh, and as the disciples were to go out, there were going to be those that 
they were going to encounter that said Jesus isn't risen from the dead. That would say his body was stolen. That would suggest all kinds of other things. And they would say that these disciples are fools for believing in Jesus because they are claiming the impossible, that someone who is dead came back to life. But Jesus wanted them to know that through these impossible things, God had given Jesus all authority on heaven and on earth that they could trust in him and what he was calling them to do. And after he gives them this message of confidence that they can trust in him and what he's calling them to do, he gave them one last imperative. Go and make disciples of all nations. Turn people who are not followers of Jesus into followers of Jesus. As a disciple of Jesus, your job is to go out and make more disciples, to make disciples of everyone. But the thing about this mission, going out and making disciples, is that the, the heart and soul of this mission doesn't come from the command of Jesus, meaning we're not going to make more disciples if we are simply doing it because Jesus told us to. Uh, obedience is great, but there is a much deeper and more meaningful reason we try to make disciples of everyone than just the fact that Jesus told us to. We want others to know about Jesus because we believe that they desperately need what Jesus can offer them. In fact, we believe that they will die without him. And this is why we go and make disciples, because we believe that people need Jesus. What kind of people? All people, every kind. No matter who they are, everyone needs Jesus. Now, if you've been with us here at Sonoma Avenue, you know that I reference this passage pretty often. It's my, my favorite section of scripture in the Bible, and in it, Paul perfectly captures uh, why we need to bring Jesus to those around us. So this comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Paul writes, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, 
and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so there's a lot going on in that amazing passage. But in this passage, Paul answers the question about why we go out and make disciples. And he says that Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In other words, we do it because we believe that Christ's mission here on earth was not just for us, for Christians. We believe that it was for all of mankind. We believe that Christ died for everyone and that everyone needs to come to know Jesus in order to be saved. But there's something more than that. We are compelled by the love of God, meaning we can't help ourselves. We must take Jesus to the world. And, and in part, it's because we have experienced reconciliation and restoration in our own lives. And it's because we experience this reconciliation, this coming back into relationship with God, that we are then given the ministry of reconciliation. We who believe in Jesus and have come to know him have accepted our need for him. We are now living as a new creation, living restored lives that God offers us, lives uh, of love and hope and peace because we have realized our need for him. We live this new life. We are therefore the best candidates to help others see their need for him because we have gained so much from our relationship with God. We are the best candidates to help others see how God will change their lives for the better and what they will gain. There is no better advocate than the one who totally, 100% believes in what they have to offer and totally, 100% believes that it will change someone's life. And God then is counting on us to be his ambassadors. And this is the real kooky part of the whole thing to me, is that this is how God wants this to happen. He is counting on us to, to go out and change people's lives by introducing them to Jesus, by telling them the gospel. He wants us, God wants us to be his representatives here and his advocates on earth. He, he planned for us to go out and change the world by telling people about Jesus because he believed that our lives would be so changed by the love of Jesus, by the love of God in the sacrifice of Jesus, by this new life that we could live that we could not help ourselves but to go out and take that love to the world. So as a disciple, there is nothing more important 
than telling others about Jesus. And if you think about it, this should really be the easy part of this process. I mean, we've been told to leave everything behind, to, to sacrifice ourselves, to be willing to go even to death. We've experienced the restoration and this new life, the peace and rest that comes from knowing Jesus. We, we know how important the gospel is to us. And, and because of that, the easy part should be telling others about how good God is and how much the love of Jesus has changed our lives. So, so why, is it, why is it so hard for us then? Well, I mean, we could talk about fear and we can talk about, oh, I don't know what to say, and we can talk about all those things that, you know, we've talked about before. But I want to touch on something just slightly different. I think that sometimes it is easy for us to overlook and to downplay just how important the gospel is to the world. Listen to this description from the book of James, from James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, that's a dramatic statement, but it's not an overstatement. It's not drama for the sake of drama. This is a simple statement of the truth that Making disciples is so important because you are saving someone's life forever. The gospel is a life or death matter. And, and those who do not believe need to hear the message of the gospel and they need to hear it from you as the one whose life has been changed by coming to know Jesus. And, and Paul talks about this. In the book of Romans he was he was writing to a group of Christians in Rome and Rome was not a great place at that time to be a Christian it was a worldly decadent place uh, the Emperor of Rome at the time was a guy named Nero and Nero was well known for being absolutely insane and for using Christians in awful ways as torches to light his parties and burning down part of the city and, and blaming on on Jews and Christians and and Paul he hears about Rome and, and he cannot wait to go there. What? Oh, he cannot wait to go there because he could not wait to share the gospel with the people of Rome. He, he saw it not as a dangerous place, but as a place full of opportunity, full of people who had not heard the gospel and who, with whom he could share the gospel for the first time. So from Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, Paul wrote, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. 
For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul was excited to go and share the gospel in Rome, and Paul couldn't understand why anyone wouldn't be excited about going and doing the same thing. In fact, he makes an interesting association that we probably are hesitant to make. Paul equated a hesitancy to share the gospel with actually being ashamed of the gospel. Now, first of all, Paul believed that there was no reason to be ashamed of the gospel, and he tells us why. It's it's the power of God, and it brings salvation to all who believe in it. The gospel had never let Paul down. He, he so thoroughly believed in it that he knew that if he put it out there, people would respond to it. And if they didn't, then they didn't, but it wasn't the fault of the gospel. But, but here's the thing. He knew that the gospel had to go out. It had to go out and have this life-changing effect on the world. And it was so important to him that it had to go out even into the most hostile environment so that it could do its work. And Paul wanted to be the one to take it there. And so he says, if you are unwilling to do so, then you are ashamed of the gospel. Now, what does he mean? Well, if you're unwilling to take the gospel out into the world, then you must not believe that people really need it. And if, and if you believe that people don't really need it, then what do you believe about it? Because if it's a matter of life or death, then you take it out to a world that is lost. But are you ashamed of it so that you're not going to take it out and speak the gospel to the world? There was no middle ground for Paul. Either you believe it's true and you take it out, or you don't take it out, which shows that you are ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. I think perhaps the bottom line philosophy is, is something like this. We should be afraid for those who do not know Jesus, not afraid of them. Let me say that one more time. We should be afraid for those who do not know Jesus, not afraid of them. Look, evangelism may not be your gift. You may not feel like you are a gifted teacher. You may know not. You may not know what to say. If you're like me, um, you may not have a personality, and so uh, talking to people is sometimes difficult. But none of these things are good enough reasons to keep us from telling others about Jesus. They are only excuses. And this gives us perhaps some perspective on why we have trouble with some of this. We will have trouble because we will relentlessly tell others that they need Jesus. We won't sleep on this because we are compelled and convinced on some level, maybe we want to be the cool Christians. And I've experienced this in my own life. You, you know, we, we are not going to pressure or push 
anyone into anything. Uh, we won't be the ones who go out there and tell people that this is a matter of life or death. But I, I, I think about these words of Paul, and I, I think how Paul describes himself as being crazy, that people literally took him like he was out of his mind. But he very clearly stated, if I'm out of my mind, it's for Jesus, and it's for you. And if he looks sane, it's just so that others will be able to understand their own need for Jesus. But he was going to take the gospel out into the world no matter what. No matter what. There's a bottom line issue here. How true is the gospel to you? If the gospel is true to you, then it is true to everyone. And if the gospel is true for everyone, then those who do not know Jesus are lost and dying. And if our lives have been changed, even a little bit, by him, then we should be compelled to go out and make sure that everybody everybody hears about Jesus, unashamed of the gospel, excited about the change that Jesus can bring to a life that doesn't know him. I want to be compelled by the love of Christ. And keep in mind, Paul never tells us here to go out and beat up on people and Tell them how awful they are and tell them all the things they're doing wrong and why their life should change. Instead, he expects that we will take the love of God to this world. And that's what the gospel is. May we never forget that the gospel is good news, that God loves this world, that he sent his son into this world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And that knowing this Jesus will change people's lives forever. Next week, we're going to have our last study on the gospel for the time being and finish out this series. We're going to talk about how the gospel draws us together and doesn't push us apart. But this week, maybe pray to God that he would convince you of your salvation. That he would show you the new life that he wants you to live. And that he would put an overwhelming desire in your heart, centered in the truth that Jesus is Lord, our risen Savior, and the knowledge that you can take Jesus to the world. And in doing so, change someone's life even one life, forever. And God's people said, Amen. Thanks for being here with us, and I hope to see you soon.